is the Under Center Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Center Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Maher, and I am joined by two of the only people that think the hashtag Free Britney uh, movement is actually Britney trying to get independence from France. Uh, Jake Woolhead and Fionn Malloy. Lads, um, I thought I explained it to you last week about what was really happening, but I, I still think that you need to follow the news a little more. I'm not one for this 24-hour news cycle, so what I'm reading the newspaper, it's just something I follow by for the rest of my life. Yeah, pop culture's pop culture's tricky. It's for the young kids. I'm a a lengthy 26-year-old now, so I'm I'm well past all that pop culture news stuff. You're saying what's for the a, kids? You what's are the, you are the kid on this show. What's a Twitter? <laughs> uh, on the show today, though, we are going to be speaking about the Jacksonville Jaguars and joining us to help talk some Jaguars uh, football and their offseason so far is Taylor Dull from the Helmet or Heels and Helmets show. Taylor, it's great to have you on. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, side note on that Britney thing, because I last year when it was like there wasn't long that Jacksonville was in an actual lockdown from COVID. Like I'm sure you saw it on the news. We had about two months of like where Jack Florida was worried and that's about it. Um, but during that time, the Britney thing kind of broke out on TikTok. So we like it was kind of popular on TikTok before all of a sudden it started getting big. And that's the only reason I know about it. But everyone's about the free Britney, right? <laughs> Uh, I only know about it as well because my uh, my girlfriend's house is just a house full of, of women and that's all they talked about for about a month straight, just about uh, <laughs> free Britney the whole time. And I just, uh, yeah, free Britney. Sure, okay. <laughs> let, let, let's, uh, let's free Britney. But anyway, uh, before we move on to talk about some Jaguars, because we are a football podcast, not a, not a Britney podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> um, if you are watching us live on, on Twitter, um, please uh, like uh, this video or on YouTube, like this video and subscribe to the Under Center podcast. That's where you'll find our podcast each and every time we upload a new show. Um, if you do want to follow us on Twitter, just go to at Under Center pod. Instagram is the exact same at Under center pod uh, we are still uh, looking to hit a thousand followers before week one of the regular season so we're on the way and you can help us doing that by hitting follow or just sharing the profile and encouraging your friends to follow us there too if you prefer the facebook side facebook.com forward slash under center pod but let's get into the show and taylor actually let's start with the 2020 season because uh, the narrative between the Jaguars and the Jets all year was who was going to tank for Trevor. Um, and the Jets did Jets things where they just were in pole position because obviously the, the Jaguars had that one win in week one against the Colts and uh, all the Jets had to do was lose out for the rest of the year. They couldn't even do that. Um, but on the Jaguars side of things was the upside out of possibly getting Trevor Lawrence outweighing such you could say a negative season? I think in, in a way it was. Uh, the Jaguars fans wanted Trevor so badly, and this started in the beginning of the season, but the Jags came out and won their first game against the Colts, and then that was the only game they won all season. 
we didn't know in game one, but they looked good. And so at first everyone was kind of like, oh, well, maybe things worked. Maybe getting rid of Leonard Fournette and, get, and James Robinson, which you guys I'm sure know his name by now, but was tremendous. He was like the main the kind of thing that held the Jaguars together last year and made fans excited for things on the field. But it got it. It definitely, as the season started rolling, um, was more and more like, please, Jets lose. And it was a back and forth where we're like, okay, well, Jack screwed themselves again by winning a game because now the Jets, there's no way. The Jets were so bad. There's no way they're going to lose a game. But I'll tell you that it was December 20th when they ended up winning. And Frank Gore, he's going up in, like, the pride of the Jaguars because it was because of him that the Jets ended up winning. And – the I'll tell you at the stadium that day, more people were up watching the Jets game than they were watching the Jags game at that moment because they wanted they were like, what? This is happening. This is happening. So that's just showing a little glimpse. I think it was up until about week five, six. There was a little hope of, OK, maybe they'll start figuring things out. But Minshew was having injury issues and then him and Marone weren't getting along. And he kind of got like pushed to the side because they were upset he didn't disclose his injury. At that point, I think Jaguars fans realized, OK, it's time to just fully uh, commit to this tank. Yeah, definitely. And and, and that was the thing that Gardner Minshew was a sort of bright spot for uh the Jaguars and becoming such a you could say a cult hero just with his um mullet and stash combo. Um and the the decision then by as you were saying a Doug Marone sort of to keep him out of the team, obviously with the like you mentioned, the the injury issues that weren't disclosed. Sort of was that sort of also the final nail in uh Coach Marone's coffin in terms of okay, this is definitely his last year in Jacksonville. Yeah, I think that for multiple reasons, keeping Minshew out. Number one, I think Doug Marone was doing it, and this would never come out and be said, I don't think, unless maybe like 20 years from down the road, like Doug Marone does an interview with Barstool or something. I don't think it would ever be talked about, but I truly think he knew that Minshew would have scraped a couple games across. Minshew just has that, like, he's not awesome, but he has just some weird ability to make crazy plays at the end of games, and a lot of the games – were actually pretty close winnable games. Um, Josh Lambeau, the kicker who didn't miss forever and ever, was out last season. And so a couple games were determined by field goals. Um, so I think Doug Marone, number one, left Minshew out because he said, okay, if this whole city, like at this point, look, let's just commit to the tank like everybody else. Like I said, he would never come out and say that. But I do think that he kept Minshew out because I do think Minshew would have won a couple more games. Glennon's awful. A lot of teams have seen the awfulness of Glennon. Um, but I also think he kind of had accepted the fact that I'm done here. So let me just kind of do what is working for me, what I want to do, make a little, make the fans happy for now because I'm done. Yeah. And obviously then season ended worst record in the league. So you get that number one overall pick, probably the most, I could say like easily, uh, predicted number one pick in a long time in the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence. Is he the savior now for Jacksonville? Is he the franchise guy for the next 10, 15 years that's going to help propel this team uh, forward? Uh, we think so. We hope so. Um, everything you see from Trevor Lawrence points that direction. I mean, the kid hasn't lost ever pretty much in high school. He didn't lose in college. He lost two games. 
um, there's always that transition to the pro where they're saying, hey, is that transfer going to happen? Is he going to be able to keep up with the pace? Um, everything we're hearing from camps is no issues whatsoever. He's, he's kind of gliding right in. The first couple of mini camps, I think there was, he threw four or five, like turned it over four or five times in one practice. Two of those were pick sixes. Um, and everyone was kind of like, oh gosh, but it, don't hit the panic button that quick because then by the end of practice, every single person on that team was like, it looks like he's already been here for a couple years. He's meshing with everyone. He's clicking. He's leading the team. The locker room respects him. Him and Urban Meyer um, get along great and Urban loves him. Um, they got ETN, so they brought some comfortability for him too. So it's not just him thrown on a team where he knows nobody he now has this guy that he just played with in college and one of his main key factors to winning a lot of games in college was Travis Etienne um so I think the uh, Jags fans are looking at this as yes like 10-15 years Trevor Lawrence is the guy um whether that be I don't think a lot of people are convinced it's this year I think they're saying hey give us two three years and it'll they'll be in the mix Tyler, you mentioned Etienne as well there. How do you feel like the rest of the draft went for the Jaguars when you get the number one pick and such an obvious number one pick and a, and a great talent in college in Lawrence that obviously everyone expects to translate over to the NFL, like you mentioned? Maybe not necessarily first year, but certainly over the next three, four years. How did the rest of the draft go? How do you think they addressed the other needs? Because, of course, this team was terrible last season, and that's not all down necessarily solely to the quarterback position. So how do you feel they addressed all the other needs they had on this team? Um, I'm one of the ones that didn't love everything personally. I haven't loved a lot of the things that Urban Meyer's done in the offseason. I think um, he took a lot of other guys, uh, even in the free agency, which just backtracking for a second, because for that, there's guys like Galladay available and he goes for Marvin Jones, which Marvin Dor Jones scores like crazy and he didn't get the recognition because Kenny Galladay was in Detroit. But like everyone wants this one guy and he kind of got the other guy. And that happened a lot during free agency. There's only a couple moves in free agency that I really liked. And those were defensive side of the ball. Um, and then I feel like he was very repetitive in the draft. He other than aside from Trevor Lawrence, obviously, but you go get Travis Etienne, but you have a running back like James Robinson from last year. And then he gets Carlos Hyde, which who knows, Carlos Hyde is kind of up and down. 2019 had a pretty good season, but then he goes and drafts a running back that high. Um, he drafted two or three guys that are coming off ACL injuries. One of them being Walker Little. Um, that was one that I actually am interested to watch though, because everything in camp points to Walker Little. He's a massive dude. Um, everyone says you wouldn't even notice that he had torn an ACL. Granted, it was two years ago, but the guy also hasn't played football in two years. He missed a whole season during injury and then opted out last year due to COVID. Um, so it, I think that a lot of things Urban did, he stuck with what he's comfortable with. A lot of these guys, he had either tried to recruit when he was in college or the coach they played for, he was friends with. And that happened in free agency and the draft. Um a lot of people here like it. A lot of people think he did the, you know, he went, uh, the defensive backs needed a lot of help. He got Shaq Griffin in free agency and then got guys like uh, Cisco and uh, Tyson Campbell from Georgia. So they did a lot of things that I guess you could say position wise is what they needed. But to me, it was, again, it was a lot of other guys, not the guy, not the corner that people are looking at, not the safety people were looking at. He went for guys that he was familiar with the name. 
Uh, Taylor, I just want to bring you back to Travis Etienne. Obviously, he was college teammates with Trevor Lawrence. Do you think that played a big factor in it? Because I believe there was reports that the Jaguars originally wanted Kadarius Tony, which obviously the Giants mm-hmm. ended up taking from the, the Bears trade back. Um, was it a bit of uh, familiarity for uh, Trevor Lawrence or was it just because Travis Etienne was probably the, the best or second best running back available? And it, it's, it's such a crowded running back room now on the Jaguars uh, team as well. Yeah, and I mean, Urban came out and blatantly said he wanted Kadarius Tony, and his heart was broken when he wasn't on the board. So I think that Urban hit the panic button a little bit, and in that panic button, he said, "What can I do to help Trevor?" And that goes to Travis Etienne. He, uh, multiple, I mean, Travis Etienne is outstanding, and he also can receive. He's a receiving running back, so it's not like you are kind of forced to put him just specifically at this running back position to just compete with James Robinson. Um, He even at one point made a comment about Carlos Hyde only being a third down back and kind of like having James Robinson and Travis Etienne battle. Um, But I do think a major factor in him taking Etienne was just he was trying to think of the best way he could make Travis, I mean, Trevor Lawrence comfortable. And of course, a guy that you've played with, a guy that you know you can work with on the field and off the field definitely helps a rookie quarterback. but I think it was more of he hit the panic. The guy he wanted was gone, so he went to a guy that kind of he knew Trevor would want. Yeah, and, and elsewhere in the, in the draft, um, one that I uh, took notice of was uh, the defensive tackle they got in the fourth round, uh, Jay Tufele, I think it's pronounced. I hope we pronounced it right mm-hmm. anyway, from USC, and sort of helping that defensive line a little bit where – you could probably argue that one of the positions that maybe they should have strengthened in in the offseason that maybe they haven't strengthened enough of just yet. Yeah, the defense, I mean, going from 2017 to what they were last year, it is insane how bad the defense was last year. And you you want to look at the offense and say, you know, you had Gardner Minshew and Mike Glennon as a quarterback, so that must have been why the Jaguars were losing. But in large part, it was the defense. The defense pretty much lets the whoever they were playing score almost every single possession, which you obviously cannot do because then your mediocre quarterback is playing catch up the entire game. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, so that position up there is, was, is very important. I think the the secondary and that was, and tight end were the three things that I think at the end of the season, I was like, we need to hammer these positions. Um, they are changing. They're changing to a three, four defense. So I think in that urban Meyer made a few moves that maybe people weren't, expected like completely expecting they got um, Roy Robertson Harris out of Chicago which I personally love I was sad to see him leave from Chicago Um, he got like about 50% of the reps there but Chicago's line is so strong that he was just kind of that other guy for a couple years and I think he could be a big part in the Jags defense Um, but I it's Tufele and he he I don't know a ton about Tufele he was one of the ones that uh, coming out of the draft was one of the higher ranked Okay, you got him in the fourth round. So solid pick for a fourth rounder. Um, I think there's a couple questions that I've heard about him in camp, though, that everyone wasn't um, completely. He wasn't standing out. He wasn't looking bad. But a lot of people were saying if you he just kind of looks like another guy out there. Um, there was nothing where they were like, okay, this guy is a good pick. Um, or who is that guy? You know, a lot of times at camp, it's more of that. Like you see something happening and then you're like, hold on, who just did that? And you look at the jersey number and you're like, oh, that's too fake. Like everyone was kind of saying there wasn't really that happening. Um, but I, I do think he definitely improved the defense. There's no way that you could say from last year to now that, that he hadn't done anything. Um, Miles Jack, 
held the defense down last year. If it wasn't for him, it, it would be nobody. Um, a guy like Josh Allen is looking for a comeback here. You were kind of Jags are counting on Josh Allen a ton, and he kind of just fell between the cracks last season. And so I think that maybe Urban is more of hoping that these little pieces that he picked up in the offseason are more of just puzzle pieces to fit to help these guys out in like more of a depth, a more depth outlook. Taylor, really quickly before we move on from the draft, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and it kind of stood out to me because when we when we follow our teams over here, we don't always get the same amount of blanket coverage of all the other teams. So only sometimes we get these kind of news stories that pop up from other teams. And one thing that, that jumped out at me during the draft process was a quote by Lawrence saying that, essentially saying, I, I'm more than a football player. You know, I, I love to play football, but it's not my... It's not my life. I have plenty of other things going on. And that really seemed to get a, a significant reaction out of people. How how worried were people about his dedication? And was it as much of a big deal as maybe it, it looked at the time? Uh, I think it was. I think national media made that into something it completely was not. Um, here in Jacksonville and our local media, we were that quote didn't worry us at all we weren't afraid that maybe football wasn't his life or maybe he's not like it's not his number one priority and that's going to affect him being a pro football player because the thing with Trevor is like I mean he's proven for years that football is an important thing to him and I think it's okay to have another life like you you we see these guys who just invest all of their heart and soul into this game and and if it doesn't work out like what else what else is going to happen so I think for Trevor he has that balance of I mean, he's so young and mature. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard some of the recent interviews he's done or even post games from Jaguars, but you would think he's a 30-year-old quarterback that's been in the league for eight years because the way he talks, the way he presents himself, the way he answers questions, he's just so, so mature. And I think in part it was that. A lot of people took that into, like, having a chip on his shoulder, and I think that was a lot of the things people were saying about it. But to me it was more of he was just saying, like, look, I – I know how to play football football is second nature to me but it's not everything like he's newly married he's in a new city he just he's done with college now he's now an nfl quarterback so there's a lot of things that he's juggling but i don't think that takes away from him being a football player grant uh, let's move on to uh you got the new quarterback now you got your new coach urban meyer Signed his deal, obviously under the basis that I'm guessing he was going to get Trevor Lawrence, his first job in the NFL after spending so long in the college game. There are some doubts, and I'll admit there are some doubts on my side of things as well, whether he'll be able to make that transition to the NFL, especially after being so long out of the game as well. But how has the um, appointment gone down in Jacksonville with locals? Uh, I will tell you that I am probably like one of only 50 people that did not like the Urban Meyer hiring. Uh, so you asked the one of the few people in Jacksonville to do this interview that is not a fan. Um, I just think I need to be he needs to prove some things to me. I think that I don't trust him. I don't I think that after a couple years, if he's not winning, that I don't guarantee he'll stay. Uh, he he's bailed on other teams. I think he would bail on a pro team. Um, I also don't love a lot of the things he's done this offseason. I think from the get-go, he hired Chris Doyle, who has a very questionable um, situation before, and uh, especially on helmets and heels, we're very vocal about 
that kind of thing, the hiring of coaches, the players who are getting away with whatever side nonsense that we just, I, I just can't stand that kind of thing. So he started with that. Chris Doyle resigned. So that kind of got, you know, moved on, moved past it. They made some more hirings. But then, like I said, free agency comes out, makes some comments about how he doesn't like free agency because um, he, I mean, pretty much he doesn't have all of the control that he's used to having in college. In college, you can go schmooze the guys and you can go to their house and say, hey, come look at our facilities and come do this. It's not like that in the NFL. In the NFL, he realized quick, it's a lot harder. These guys want money. Um, these guys want uh most guys want to go to a team that they know they can win with, um, especially in free agency, because a lot of free agency guys are older guys where they're kind of like, OK, you know, we're hitting our late 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And we're wanting to be on a team where we can actually compete. Um, and Urban Meyer, I don't think, loves free agency. He hammered from the get go of free agency that the, one of the main rooms he needed to fix was tight end. And he goes and gets Tim Tebow, who's never even played tight end. and um, Keeps O'Shaughnessy, that's fine. I think O'Shaughnessy's making a little move. We got Luke Farrell also coming off an injury. Um, I just didn't love that. I didn't love that he kind of reached for Travis Etienne. Uh, so there's a lot of things that kind of have pointed to negatives for me. I will say that I have liked that he's very vocal about needing help from other coaches. He surrounded himself with an elite coaching staff, which I think will help him. Um, a lot of guys that have been in the NFL for a while, a lot of guys that can kind of help him through this transition. I just am not convinced until I see it on the field that he is going to be able to just make that because you don't see, I mean, you can name very few guys that made that straight from college to head coach transfer and it worked out right away. Um, Five years, yeah, like give him four or five years, and I think that maybe he could start easing into it. But do I think Urban Meyer would wait four or five years to accumulate wins? No. Uh, so aside from me, though, Jacksonville was excited. Jacksonville, a lot of people here are Gators fans. He was in Florida for a long time, won Florida a lot of games. Um, and so a lot of people are confident that, like, hey, he's one of the winningest coaches in college football, one of the best coaches in college football. They kind of one of the websites recently kind of uh, compared him to Pete Carroll. And they were saying, you know, like Pete Carroll, granted, he kind of went back and forth, but we're saying like what he was able to do when he came back and was in Seattle and um, they never played against each other. So that's going to be an interesting matchup this year, because I think that. Some people compare it to that and some people compare them to like, OK, well, it's really hard to make this instant. Like it's it's a different world in pro football. And Urban's very used to just kind of being able to ease his way into things and win where he goes because he does have that recruiting ability. You don't recruit in the NFL. So it's going to be interesting to me to see how these offseason moves kind of add up. Uh, the city of Jacksonville's pumped. They like Urban Meyer. They think it's exactly what Jacksonville needs. They, they think that is perfect for Trevor Lawrence, um, having a coach that's so relatable to college players to help Trevor also transition. Uh, it's a little scary for me. But. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting comparison with the P. Carroll team because not just uh, he's not not just assigned a lot of ex Seattle players in the off season, but he's also brought in like Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel to to be coaches on the offense as well. So he's definitely taken that sort of Seattle sort of um, Seattle influence there to Jacksonville. But you mentioned it briefly at the start there talking about uh, Urban Meyer, and and that was Chris Doyle, which we talked about on the show when it was first announced, and when he subsequently then resigned a day later in an NFL organization as big as Jacksonville is or the Jaguars are like when they have so many 
you know, people that have their ear close to the ground. And like for disappointment to actually like make disappointment and think that everything could be swept under the rug. I just felt it was quite naive. It, it would, you could say it was a college style appointment where it'd be forgotten about in a couple of weeks if he was still on a college team, which was never going to happen when it comes to the NFL. And, you know, it's it like this guy shouldn't like, like the stuff that he was alleged to have done. It should never have uh, been anywhere near an NFL side. And it seems as though like he was just looking for people that he knew to be around him. And I think it was more like be damned the allegations. Uh, it just seemed like it was a very naive move for someone who should be as experienced as, as Urban Meyer is. Yeah, and I, I I agree. I think it was a very college move of him. He in the college realm, um, you see it a lot where it does get kind of swept away. So he wasn't. I don't think he at all expected to be what it was. I think he expected it to be in the headlines for a couple of days, and then he'll keep making hirings, and those things will kind of overshadow every, uh, that. But the difference with the NFL, especially right now with this day and age, is you. You just you can't do that, um, it especially as one of your first moves as a head coach in the NFL and for a team that is already in the negative light spotlight constantly. And that, I think that's why a lot of Jacks fans were immediately really, really mad because they they're the joke constantly. And it's been seasons and seasons of like, OK, who cares about the Jaguars? No one wants to go to Jacksonville. Jacksonville can't win games. Their quarterbacks are a joke. AFC. I mean, the 2017 season was a fluke. And now they get this little bit of like excitement and they get Urban Meyer and then it's shot down because his first one of his first hirings is this guy who brings negative attention to Jacksonville again. Um, thank goodness he resigned almost immediately. I think that was more of him being like, Urban, like this is your chance to try to like, I'm going to ruin this if I stay here. Um, so, but I agree. I think it was a very college move of him. I think that he's done it before. We know he had some assistant coaches in Ohio State that was also doing some things he shouldn't have been doing. And mm -hmm. he kind of swept that under the rug for a while also. So I, that's, he's not a trustworthy person to me and I'm not a great, I'm not a big fan. Um, he's a great college football coach. So, um, but I think I'm, I also like good humans. So I know a lot of uh, football fans kind of are like, Oh, like he plays good football. But for me, it's like, I want somebody who I know I can trust. I know someone that I want a coach who, you know, these guys can go to and be like, Hey, this is happening. Like I need help, whether it's on or off the field. And I'm not quite sure if um, Urban would ever say anything negative about one of the guys if it did come out. That was one thing about Doug Marone is he would call out he would call out the players and say like, nope, this isn't working. Like Leonard Fournette go sit on the bench because you threw a tantrum. And like most coaches will not do that. And I don't see Urban Meyer doing that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think. Yeah. I think I agree with you. I, I've never really liked uh, Urban Meyer either. I follow the college football game a little bit closer than the two lads. Uh, like you said, I did hear whispers of allegations on his own coaching staff. Uh, then obviously the hire as soon as he got the Jaguars wasn't great. I didn't even particularly like him on college game day. I thought he looked like a, a peacock and he was kind of saying, oh, well, I'm the best coach ever and I'm just going to sit here and look pretty while everyone tells me how brilliant I am. But uh, given that you said he doesn't, <laughs> He doesn't always stick around for teams. You mentioned that he has a, a experienced a lot of winning, which is not the history of the Jaguars in recent years. They've struggled. Uh, you, you said you feel like he would only go maybe four or five years 
that if he doesn't reach his winning standard, he would leave. Do you think his contract might be terminated before he gets to that point? In other words, how how long a leash has he got to turn this team around before Khan and the ownership start to, to question whether this was the right move or not? Um, I would say... I- they have a bad history of letting guys stick around for way too long. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they would have even a little bit longer of a leash because they would factor in that he's new to the NFL, like new to the NFL, in addition to being a new head coach in the NFL, in addition to having a rookie quarterback. So there's a lot of things that are going to factor. Um, I would say maybe around the same time, that four or five year mark, if he is not, and obviously there's signs, there are signs far before that. If, after a couple years, you can kind of see if he's developing a lot of these players. You'll start to see the Jacks have so much money in free agency. And that's what makes me frustrated is like they had the most money to spend in free agency and got all these like second guys and not like positions that they necessarily absolutely needed. Um, so I think that that will start catching up with him. If in a couple years, these this is kind of repetitive. And let's say another offseason goes by next year. Um, this year isn't great. Trevor's not developing. A lot of these younger guys aren't developing. There's a ton of penalties like there has been the last couple of years. Um, I think that after a couple of years, it might start to be a talked about, but I still think they'll give him four or five years to try and figure it out. Yeah. And then looking forward to the 2021 season um it's a difficult schedule to sort of say the least um sort of facing two of the tougher divisions this coming year with the nfc west and the afc east um got that week seven bye just after the london game against um, miami as well which is sort of a regular occurrence now with uh, jacksonville obviously with the cans having such a close relationship with with uh London, uh, especially owning a Fulham football club over there too. Uh, what what did you make of the schedule uh, yourself? Is there any sort of standout games that you'd be looking for to sort of see uh, see a good marker to see how far the team has uh, progressed? Yeah, I think that uh, the number one test, I think, is a lot of the division games, obviously Houston is a train wreck right now. So um, definitely need to just beat Houston in both of the games. Obviously the, the Deshaun Watson situation is kind of up in the air. I don't see him start football in Houston because it's just that some of them are saying it'll be a couple years before this trial is even done. So who knows? Um, I think that there's a lot, even with Tannehill, Tannehill is not an amazing quarterback. Somehow he's like managed to do some things in Tennessee. Derrick Henry is an absolute monster. Um, and then now Julio adding to this. So it's, it's, it's a little scary, but I think that the AFC is there's winnable games in there. There's Houston. There's the, I think you could split with Indy and, uh, Tennessee. Um, outside of that, it's hard. Let me pull it up because I just have not memorized it. So I want to kind of go through. Um, hey, hey, Jake, know, are, like, we gonna, are we going to sit here and let Dara say that the NFC West is one of the toughest divisions of football? Oh, poor Jaguars, they have to play it. Come on, <laughs> come on, Dara. Sorry, they NFC don't get the East is so much tougher. It's they don't get the NFC least. The teams I'm sorry. are so well balanced. You literally flip a coin to pick the winner. <laughs> it is literally the definition of a perfect yeah. division. In it's the, the perfect division in football. That's what we're going for. NFC yeah. East, perfect division in football. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have to 
dignified <laughs> out with a response. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how uh, much I you're crying now. When Wilson, when Wilson yeah. can't throw the ball for nothing like he could at the end of last season. He can't come back up off that cliff. I'll tell you, someone's gone 30 for 30 and it's Russell Wilson. <laughs> oh, that cliff, you mean the uh, the Matt, the Ryan Fitzpatrick cliff. It was named after magic. because he falls magic. off it so many times. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's magic. Um, but, yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Just, just glancing. Yeah, just glancing. So I as the... As we've kind of assessed the schedule on our shows, the beginning looks like winnable games to start. Like I said, Houston's a train wreck. Um, Broncos, I don't even they don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. I don't think to start game one. There's a lot of things about the Broncos I like. I think they have a lot of um, they have a lot of weapons that could definitely be breakout players this next season. I love Vic Fangio. He was the defensive coordinator for the bears, but I do think he is way better being a defensive coordinator than he is a head coach. So I'm interested to see if that can kind of step up. Um, Kyler Murray, a lot of people here are saying that's a very winnable game. I don't know. I love Kyler Murray. I think he's just going to get better. Um, Bengals, Joe Burrow obviously is going to be back. So I think a lot of this is just like pretty much going to come down to a lot of quarterbacks because you have, like I said, it's a divisional game. You talked about the Dolphins. The Dolphins' defense was so, so good, especially in the second half of last year. I'm interested to see how Tua is. You saw him get benched twice last year. Um, so that'll be interesting. Seattle, I think that's going to be – I mean, obviously it's in Seattle, number one. So seeing – having Trevor play with a full stadium is going to be – very interesting. Um, Bills are really good. Colts are really good. 49ers, when they're healthy, they they can be unstoppable. Falcons, I don't know. I think Matt Ryan's kind of on that downward slope of his career. Um, he makes things happen, but there's a lot of just weird things happening in that. They got Kyle Pitts, which I think will help a lot, but no Julio. So, But they have Calvin Ridley. So as soon as you say they don't have this, you find another piece that they kind of put together. Um, LA is really good. That's always a fun one for us because Jalen Ramsey, um, pretty much stuck a big middle finger to Jacksonville and Jacksonville cannot stand Jalen Ramsey with any part of their being now. So that game's always fun. I think that it, they'll probably Rams will probably be favored to win by a ton and Jags will make that a really good game just because they'll be after, uh, Ramsey the whole time. It'll be fun to see Matthew Stafford there. Um, I, I just, honestly, when I look at our schedule, I can only see maybe, maybe four wins when I first look at this. Um, and that being Jets, Rams, and the Houston games both times. If we could split some of the other ones, I think it's good. Uh, I don't even think they'd be able to beat the Patriots, whoever. I don't know if it's going to be Mac Jones or if it's going to be Cam Newton. Um, it, it's not pretty. As I, like The more we go – in the beginning, like I said, I think they're they're – could win you could win maybe a, a couple two three in the first but then it just gets really really difficult and to have a week seven by it's a little early you'd like to have it a little later and I think um, especially with so many young guys that are going to be playing um, it does not look like there's very many wins but I, I personally don't think that Jags fans are going to be judging the season off of wins technically this season I think a lot is going to be um Trevor's numbers if they if he could have a Justin Herbert here and kind of like even if it's only six wins but has his numbers I think people would be satisfied here that's what we yeah. always say about Jake when he takes his uh when he takes his helm off it doesn't look good it does not look good it don't look pretty but it, <laughs> it don't look pretty it don't look pretty 
Uh, Taylor, um, we're 30-ish minutes into the show, and we haven't even mentioned the most important bit of news at Jacksonville Jaguars all season was Tim Tebow signing as a tight end. This is just the best piece of news I've ever heard. Quarterback turned tight end. <laughs> I have two questions for you. Well, one, uh, he looks jacked. He looks like he's a monster now. He looks huge. I have two questions, yeah. though. What are his chances of making the team? And say he does make the team, what is the over-under on thrown touchdown passes from Tim Tebow. That That's the only thing that I could go to, number one, is that he's trying to use him as, like, an almost Taysom-type weapon because anytime you ask Urban Meyer, he's like, I'm signing him as a tight end, but he's not going to play tight end. And I'm like, okay, then why did you even do that? Why did you start this frenzy of signing this guy who's never played tight end? Actually, he was like begged to play tight end for Denver back in the day. And he was like, no, I'll never play tight end. That's not my position. And then now he's like a little bored with baseball and sucks at it. So he's like, well, maybe I'll go back to football. Um, Jacksonville is obsessed with Tim Tebow. Like he is their Lord and savior here. And so when it happened, it was like the biggest joke to a lot of us. We were like, this has to be, this isn't real. Number one, it also drops, it dropped on draft day. It was like, we're getting Trevor Lawrence. And they're like, oh, Jack's plan to sign Tim Tebow as tight end. And everyone was like, what? Like, what? that doesn't even make sense. Um, but then it really happened. And he's been going through camp. I mean, people are saying that uh, he's definitely in shape. That's the one thing. They're like, he doesn't look. Uh, like he doesn't fit. He looks like he should be out on the foot, the football field, but he doesn't look like he should be over with like the blocking pads, blocking with the tight ends because everyone's like, it looks just a little goofy to be honest with you. Um, he hasn't dropped a ball from what I've heard. So that's interesting. Um, granted you're getting perfect passes from Trevor Lawrence with no pressure pretty much, but, um, I do not think he'll make the team. I just, I think that there's like a 20% chance that he'd make it. Uh, if he did, I really don't think it would just be like a straight up tight end position. I think Urban Meyer would do something kooky to fit him in the roster just because he wants Tim Tebow on his roster. Uh, if he did make the roster just because I think that it's goofy, he'd probably end up having like five touchdowns this season and feel like, like, okay, where you're like, wow, he caught, he caught a couple passes. Like when Jason Witten came back and everyone's like, oh, he's done. But then you're like, oh, wow, he's actually like, playing kind of good um so I think I, I just don't see it I, I see maybe through training camp there'll be a little talk that he'll make the team but by the end it's going to come down to final numbers um Urban Meyer actually just recently did an interview and in that he said like look I only have a certain this number of guys in the NFL I'm not used to that uh so if if the number doesn't fit I can't keep him like as much as I'd want maybe want Tim Tebow on the team I have a certain number of positions that I have to fill and that I need and depth is important and you don't need seven tight ends on your team that's true because I think I figured it out so if we put together that he's a, a a playoff quarterback he's played quarterback in the playoffs for the Broncos then he left did a bit of baseball so he's used to kind of throwing different shaped objects. Urban Meyer said he's signed him on, not necessarily to play tight end. So are we looking at the world's strongest armed water boy who can get that water bottle right out to midfield, doesn't need to run on the pitch. He's just launching those things right on the hash marks. I think, I think I've figured it out. Urban Meyer is a step ahead. He's looking for that H2O hydration. It's, it's that <laughs> That's a good one. one. He's like, He's like, this one's for you, Trevor. And like from, you know, 30. He hits so shocked to see in the head. He's like, oh, oh, my bad. Always had accuracy issues. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Unless there's a bit of a vengeful side of him, maybe he he does chuck it at Lawrence's throwing hand just a little too hard. Oh no, coach, yeah. you have no quarterback. Yeah. Yes, I'll go in for week one if you want. You know, just to mm-hmm. cover. I think I think a lot. Yeah, you I'm know, good. in all seriousness, I think a lot of a lot of the ex players and the ex coaches that I've been listening to about this are like, look. Sure, as you said, Taylor, he, he's an athletic specimen, right? They, they, we know he can run fast and he's built to play American football. And he, he looks like he has great hands. And that's not really what they're worried about. You can scheme some things to get him open and throw the ball. But if you're going to sit him there and rely on him to block a stand-up outside linebacker or a defensive end whose job it is to beat guys who have trained and trained and trained to block you and you're trusting him to block for the face of your franchise for the next 10, 15, 20 years, if Jacksonville's lucky, that there's just no room for him on the pitch. Yeah, and I, I think and part of that too is you don't have a tight end one either. Like if you had a Travis Kelsey or a Kittle and you want to throw Tebow in there to just like have some fun every now and then, okay. But you you don't. You have no tight end that is actually going to be able to block like you said your franchise quarterback that you want for a long time you have no tight end that you know is going to go out there and consistently make plays so then you guy who's definitely not going to consistently make tight end plays and it's it's almost offensive if I was a tight end in the league I would be kind of offended that like you think you can come in here after not playing for nine years football at all and play the tight end position where the drop off for tight ends I mean they're five like a couple really really good ones then some good ones, and then the drop-off's pretty deep. So, like, where are you going to land on that and on that list? Yeah, I give it until like week two when he goes up against Von Miller to be thrown on his ass <laughs> so many times in that game. It's going to it's it's going to be yeah. a bit of a massacre. Um, and then he has to go up against JJ Watt the week after. Oh, <laughs> poor guy, <laughs> poor guy. That'd be... Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen. We're we're going to uh, we're going to end uh, the the chat here, Taylor. But before we go, um, for anyone who's uh, watching or listening, is interested in uh, listening to more of your takes, where can they find your show? Yeah, so we have. Um, if you go on my Twitter, also it's Tay Doll Ten Ten XL. And um, our show is on, you can either stream it. So on 1010XL.com, which is the numbers, 1010XL.com, you can find all of our previous episodes on there. And so if you want to kind of backtrack to however far or even the draft, we've had some fun ones. Actually, a couple weeks after the draft was a really cool one for us because normally we're only Tuesday nights. Um, This specific week, we actually did a show every night and we had a ton of guests on there, including David Garrard um, did a whole show with us, which was really fun because he kind of got uh, in depth with a lot of the position groups that Urban Meyer um, was potentially at that time had just drafted and was potentially going to try and make the the team or that mini camp and all of that. It was a really fun show, but we are a lot more Tuesdays. You can also go to 1010XL.com on Tuesday nights, which is 6 p.m. Eastern time here. I cannot do the math of like what you where you guys are in the time frame. Um, but it's 6 p.m. Eastern time on. Okay, yes, <laughs> that time you can listen okay. to us live, or always just head over to 1010xl.com and it'll all all of our shows will be up first thing Wednesday morning, um, with whatever we did on Tuesdays, and we also post them on the Twitter also. Excellent stuff. Taylor, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, We hope to uh, get the chance to speak to you, if not before the season, definitely at some point during it. Yeah, thanks, guys. This was fun. 
No problem, no problem. Uh, so that is it for this edition of the show. Um, if you haven't already, please make sure you like this video and subscribe to the Under Center podcast on YouTube. Also, if you prefer, go to our Twitter and our Instagram at Under Center Pod. Uh, you will find us there. And we also post the show live on Twitter there every week too. Um, go to our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Under Center Pod. Jake and Fionn, thanks so much again as usual. Thank you very much. We will be back again soon with another uh, off-season team. Uh, We are nearing the end. We've only got two left. And conveniently enough, it's the two Super Bowl teams that we have to speak about. It's got the Chiefs and the the Bucks. So we'll have uh, our chats with them soon. But until then, stay safe and we'll speak to you soon.